The following podcast is the first of two follow-up interviews on the subject of marriage, divorce, and remarriage. The second episode of these follow-ups will be posted next Friday, February the 2nd, and we will continue to answer the questions which you have asked. We hope that you enjoy this content. Welcome again to Hope PR Ministry Podcast. Today we're going to do a follow-up interview with uh, Professor David Inglesma. I'm Jeff Kelspeak, and my co-host here is Josh. Hi, Jeff. Glad to be here. And Professor David Inglesma. Welcome. Good to be with you again. For our time today, we bring a number of thoughtful, even difficult questions that our listeners submitted to us. Yeah, and we just want to say thank you as well for all the, the people who got back to us with those questions and comments. Um, that's what makes a podcast like this possible today. And it's a very important topic that we are discussing again. We talked about that before, how important it is. Uh, this is God's Word. This is what God teaches us from His Word. This is not what Josh Harris teaches. It's not what Prof. Engelsma teaches. It's not what Jeff Kalswick teaches. It's what God teaches. And we want to show and and share what God teaches so hopefully that these questions go ways to, to do that. Before you ask the questions that you have received, I'd like to make a few comments about the nature of our discussion this afternoon. I understand that the questions will be of a practical nature, having to do with application of the truth of marriage to the actual lives of the people of God, or those who confess to be the people of God, and also raising severe difficulties that this principle of marriage as a lifelong bond raises for some persons. In the light of that, I have a few observations to make before we get into the questions themselves. Okay. First of all, the great Saint Augustine said about the appearance of difficulties in his ministry, because he was a pastor as well as a theologian, that he spent great amounts of time counseling married couples with regard to the difficulties in their marital lives. And he indicated in his comment that he regretted that that kind of pastoral counseling prevented him from devoting himself more fully to the writing of theological books. Now, if he had written more theological books, he would have been astounding because he wrote quite a few to start with, but he had that difficulty in his own pastoral ministry. And he also remarked about the nature of these difficulties that marriage can raise more difficulties than a wise man can answer. Now if these questions were so very difficult for Augustine, you can appreciate they will be difficult in the extreme for me, but I will do what I can to answer these practical questions. Also I want to confirm that the fundamental truth is that there's in marriage one man and one woman for life. That's the principle, that's the basic truth in the light of which all the practical questions and difficulties must be answered and solved. In the third place, I want to take note of the fact, as these questions will also make plain, I guess, that the truth of marriage as taught in the Bible and as I have defended on these podcasts results in hard cases for some married persons. And I'm going to give some answers to questions that will be unpopular, I recognize that, and I remind the audience that I did not invent the truth of marriage. My calling is to defend what Christ and the rest of Scripture taught about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. 
I frankly confess that some of these questions will no doubt arouse in me an inclination to soften and compromise the truth of marriage because I am not an unsympathetic man. I'm sympathetic to some of the difficulties that the truth of marriage arouses in the lives of those who confess to be God's people. But I mustn't do that. My calling is to defend and explain what Christ and the rest of Scripture has taught, have taught about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. To that I want to be faithful this afternoon as I have tried to be faithful in the preceding podcast. I'd like the listeners to keep those things in mind. So the first question that we have, Professor, from one of our listeners was as follows. My former wife has wrongfully divorced me and married another. Is she truly married to that person, or is she, in God's eyes, still married to me and only committing adultery with who she is with, then only in the eyes of the state married to another man? That is a question that I think will come up in other questions as well, and the explanation or answer to that question must reckon with the fact that marriage is not only an ecclesiastical matter, it is also a civil matter, a matter of the state and the civil power. The woman who has wrongfully divorced her husband, Christian husband, is still truly married to that Christian husband, so that the woman is committing adultery in her second marriage. But she is married also in a civil sense, in a legal sense, to her second husband, even though wrongfully, so that her present marriage is an adulterous marriage. It is a genuine marriage in the sense that the civil state has recognized it and sealed it, but as far as the church and the word of God is concerned, it's an adulterous marriage. The point I'm making is that her previous marriage does not nullify altogether the reality of her second marriage because of the fact that marriage is a civil matter and not an ecclesiastical matter. I remind us that God instituted marriage before the church was founded in Genesis 3 verse 15. It was part of the crea- it was a creation ordinance of God. And the New Testament recognizes this difficult point about marriage also. In 1 Corinthians 7 verse 11, the apostle is speaking of a woman who divorced her husband because he was guilty of adultery and goes on to add that she can be reconciled to her husband. He uses that word with regard to the man whom she divorced. He is still her husband, even though they are divorced on the ground of his adultery. So there are two aspects to the reality of marriage. There is the spiritual reality of the bond of union that God establishes between a man and a woman who marry in the Lord. And there's also a civil aspect a social aspect to marriage that renders even the marriage of a divorced person a real marriage. You want to uh, read that passage, yeah. Josh? So 1 Corinthians 7, verse 10, 11, and 12. And unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. But, and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her to her husband. And let not the husband put away his wife. But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. As I think I pointed out in a previous session, this is one of the most extraordinarily important passages 
on the truth of divorce and remarriage in all of the Bible, even as 1 Corinthians 7 is one of the most important chapters, entire chapters on those subjects. The point I'm making now is that there's a woman who is rightly divorced from her husband because he has committed adultery. And the possibility is that she's reconciled to her husband. But he uses the word husband. Even though socially and civilly they're divorced because of his adultery, he remains her husband. So nothing changes that. The divorce does not change that. His adultery did not change that. That bond that God has established remains. He still is her husband. But if she makes a second marriage, there's a social and civil sense in which that new marriage is a reality. It's an adulterous marriage, but it's still a marriage. Scripture reckons with the social and civil aspect of the institution of marriage, in keeping with the fact that God instituted marriage before he instituted the church. It's a social and civil institution. That's Mark 10, verse 12, Jesus speaking, And if a woman shall put away her husband, and be married to another, she committeth adultery. Now, she divorced her husband, her first husband, the husband with whom there's a bond formed by God, but she marries another. Jesus recognizes the civil reality of the remarriage. It's an adulterous marriage, but it's a real marriage in the social and civil sense. We do not simply dismiss the state and the ordinances of the state and the institutions of the state in our doctrine of divorce and remarriage. And that putting away in Mark uh, 10 there, that is not a separation, that is divorce, correct? Divorce. Yeah. In another passage where Jesus recognizes, it seems like the civil state is John 4, verses 16. I'll read uh, 16 through 18. Jesus said unto her, this is the woman at the well, Go call thy husband, and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands. And he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, and that saidst thou truly. It seems like Jesus, he calls... Uh, the man her husband, but then says, truly, that is not your husband after all. What is that? Does that apply? In verse 18, Jesus recognizes five marriages that that woman had, so that she had five husbands. Now, obviously, those five husbands were not husbands in the sense that God united them in the bond of Christian marriage, but they were successive men that she took in a legal way to be her husband. Jesus recognizes there the civil and social aspect of the institution of marriage. And there are two possibilities of understanding what he meant when he said, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. One could be that the man she was living with was just a paramour and not united to her by any civil or social regard whatsoever. And it could be that she did take a sixth husband Jesus is charging that he's not her legitimate husband, her Christian husband. I rather favor the idea, since he does call those five former men husbands, that she was serious when she said, I have no husband. So okay. living with a man. So related to that, uh, the next question from a listener. Someone who has grown up in a church that has allowed remarriage of the innocent party 
and has been a member for a long time in that church and has raised a family with their new spouse, how must we view that marriage? Because of the truth that we have defended in earlier sessions of these interviews, that there may be no remarriage while a original mate is living, not even of the so-called innocent party, the judgment upon the person that this question refers to, a member who has been a long-time member of that church and has raised a family with their new spouse, we judge that marriage as an adulterous marriage. And the basis of that, biblically, in part, would be the Mark 10 passage that I referred to already. If a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. And if a man divorces his wife and marries another, he commits adultery. It's a marriage, civilly and socially, but it's an adulterous marriage. One who marries another commits adultery. This is one of the difficult questions and situations that I referred to at the beginning in which human sympathy is ready to give its own human response to this, but the truth of the Word of God must prevail. There may be no remarriage after divorce, and all remarriage after divorce is adultery, so that we call and judge that marriage as an adulterous marriage. Admittedly, the, this, these are hard situations that are being brought up here. I did want to say that uh, faithfulness... That means no remarriage while a spouse is living is also a, a glorious reflection of Christ's faithfulness to his bride, which he is faithful to forever. The watching world observes a picture of the gospel and the nature of God himself with such people who remain faithful and do not uh, remarry in such a situation. It doesn't seem like a privilege to those in this circumstance, but it does manifest God's glory in that faithfulness. And I, th I think it's good to keep that in mind, too, with the people who are faithful, that God has chosen them to be uh, a reflection of him. Yes, and there's this to the judgment that I've given and the action of the true church with regard to this adulterous marriage, that this truth made effective by God in the persons who are in this situation, delivers them from the wrath of God, which is far more serious and evil for them now than giving up for a short time the admittedly blessed relationship of a man and wife in marriage. The wrath of, if this is an adulterous marriage, the wrath of God abides on them so long as they live in this relationship. And that's misery. That's the greatest evil of all evils. That's a far greater evil than having to live a single life for a few years. So when the church preaches this gospel, it's preaching the gospel of salvation. By the grace of God, it's saving sinners, rescuing them from death and damnation. This life is not all there is, and earthly happiness is not the only happiness that means something. Well, that's an important truth to remember. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I, I guess the, the third question follows up nicely with question two. So the question is, shouldn't we advise divorced and remarried couples who are interested in joining the PRC, the Protestant Reformed Churches, and who remarried prior to conversion to find another denomination that is close to the PRC in doctrine rather than, rather than advise them to split up their family? If this question is followed up in its intent, we would tell such couples Take your sins to another denomination, and in that other denomination continue to dishonor 
the marital state, and in that other denomination, bring the wrath of God upon you there, rather than in the Protestant Reformed churches. This advice is unbiblical and unscriptural. And even the alternative is phrased in the wrong way, rather than advise them to split up their family. That's putting the calling of the true church in such a light as to make the true church responsible for the evil of splitting up families. We don't split up families. We call people to repent of their sin with a repentance that shows its genuineness by not living in the sin anymore. If that splits up families, that's not the responsibility or fault of the church in preaching the gospel. That's the glorious carrying out of the calling that they have from the gospel of Jesus Christ. But no, we never advise people to take their sin to another denomination. We advise them to get rid of their sin by repenting and living a converted life. We do not advise people who are remarried to take their sin to another denomination. That brings to mind, it was brought out in a sermon on the Seventh Commandment, there's a lack of discipline for adultery, and that leads to unbiblical remarriages. I was thinking as I was reading through this question as well that in a sense, it's almost asking, like, can we compromise in some way where they can, you know, they can go to this church which allows for divorce and remarriage instead of coming to the PRC and having their sin brought out, as you said, Prof, and the command to repent would be brought, of course, if they were brought to the PRC. But we we must be seeking to join ourselves to the church which we, we believe is most, fa most faithful to the teaching of God's words. Uh, we can't be making any compromises on God's word to adhere to other people. Uh, we can't pick and choose what we like from Scripture and only apply those things. As I say this, it is very easy to be objective about a situation when you're not directly in it. You can, it can be very black and white, but I know that when someone is in, you know, a, a certain situation, it's, it's, it perhaps is grayed a little bit. Your emotions can uh, take over and it's, it's hard to be um, so objective as you were perhaps before. Uh, so even if you weren't in a situation like this, or any of the ones that we've mentioned so far, uh, you must be seeking to know what the Lord teaches in His Word. And that comes through studying His Word and, and discerning for yourself what the Bible truly teaches. And this studying, it's not simply knowing what the Lord commands, you know, what, what He says we can and what we can't do. In other words, knowing the law, it's, it's first knowing what the Lord teaches us in His Gospel. And as we come to know the love of our God for us in giving us Jesus Christ and the laying down of his life for us, we then understand why we seek to obey uh, the law of God in our lives and how that obedience and, and the how of that obedience should follow. Uh, and I think in 1 John 4 verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. And because we love him and we seek to, to live that love in seeking to follow his word and what he commands us out of a love for him and for his gospel. The question always must be, what is pleasing to God, my Savior, rather than what's pleasing to me? Yep. And this question is an instance of the hard cases that I referred to at the beginning, about which I would suppose that all of us have the feeling we ought to make allowances for this. These people are married, they have children, a nice family, apparently, but if we come up with our own answers based on our feeling, we're not faithful to our calling from God. The church is supposed to proclaim His Word, not our own Word. Okay, there's a, another question 
from a listener, although I agree with most of the points he made, that's uh, most of the points that Professor Inglesma made, I just don't know if I can agree that those who have remarried are going to be condemned. He admits that this is a gray area. Are they knowingly living in unrepentant sin? I don't know if I can say yes to that. This questioner proposes that I said something about the issue of marriage, divorce, and remarriage being a gray area. I don't recall having said that. I probably would have said it's a difficult area, but I don't see any grayness here. The truth is that those who are living impenitently in adultery are under the condemnation of God. Mark 10 teaches that, as I've quoted again and again, the woman or the man who divorces and remarries commits adultery. And although I don't have the Greek New Testament in front of me, I think I've looked that up before and discovered that the present tense is used. It's not that they committed adultery once upon a time at their marriage ceremony, but they go on committing adultery. That's the teaching plainly of Mark 10. And I think that's also the teaching of Luke 16, verse 18, and of other passages. And the Word of God says in the law, Thou shalt not commit adultery. So the Word of God condemns the marital state of a divorced and remarried person. They're under the condemnation of God. And what the Word condemns in this life, it's going to condemn in the day of the final judgment as well. Everybody should agree with that. Every confessing Christian should be committed to that truth. And whether they're knowingly living in unrepentant sin is a question. If their church doesn't teach the right thing about divorce and remarriage, they may be unknowingly living in unrepentant sin. And that brings out the seriousness of the failure of many churches to teach the truth about divorce and remarriage and to warn the people. I don't want to come into the judgment as a former minister and have God say to me, there are people going to hell because you didn't teach the truth about my word. I don't want to have to hear that from him. I don't want to have to hear from God. First of all, the people in front of me sent away to eternal perdition, and then God turns to me and says, you're responsible. I, want to, I don't want to have the blood of anybody on my hands as a minister. And that's one reason why I have taught the truth of divorce and remarriage throughout my ministry and continue to teach it now, regardless of the criticism and opposition. The Bible teaches that divorce and remarriage is adultery, and going on in sin is to live under the wrath of God, and one who goes into eternity that way is going to be condemned. That's the urgency of what we're talking about. Does uh, Romans 2.15 have anything to say regarding those individuals knowing what they are doing? The reason I ask it is because I have talked to one who his wife divorced him when he was unregenerate. He told me that he knew when his wife left him that was it, that he should not get remarried. And he was an unbeliever at the time. Romans 2.15 says, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the mean while accusing or else excusing one another. I just wonder, is marriage part of that, that God shows everyone that marriage is for life? I think that's true. I think that the Romans passage is expressly teaching the truth of the existence of the one true and living God. No one is ignorant of that. Everyone has knowledge of that. But I think in connection with the truth of God, there are other truths 
that also are known even by the natural man, the unregenerated man. I come back again to the reality that marriage is a creation ordinance. Adam and Eve were made needing marriage and were created knowing marriage. The union of one man and one woman for life is part of what we call general revelation so that there's no excuse even for the pagans in their corruption of marriage, whether polygamy or remarriage. So based on that answer, Professor, and the, the one that you gave just before Jeff's comments, are you saying that this is a salvation issue, where if you if you are in this this sin, then you won't enter the the kingdom of God? This is a salvation issue, because the the commandment, the seventh commandment, says, "Thou shalt not commit adultery." And the Bible affirms that divorce and remarriage is adultery. One who continues in adultery cannot expect to be saved. It is not saved if he goes on impenitently in that sin. That's with the assumption that marriage is known to be between one man, one woman for life, and that all men know this truth, but then they fall into adultery um, through divorce and remarriage, and they seek to ignore what God had taught. Is is that kind of where you're you're going with that? Yes. Okay. I'm struck by the fact that Jeff has said what he said about this member of the church. He knew already in his unconverted state that he might not remarry. That's striking. He didn't have the Bible to teach him that. He just had general revelation to teach that. You had uh, brought up Luke 16, verse 18, regarding putting away being adultery. Could you comment on that verse once again? It says, Whosoever putteth away his wife and marrieth another committeth adultery. And whosoever marrieth her that is put away from her husband committeth adultery. Often in my reading, that verse is explained as being a one-time adultery. Did you, did you mention that you had looked up the Greek? Yes, I'm almost positive, although I'm not reading from the Greek New Testament right now, that the King James translation is correct. It doesn't say committed adultery. On the spot, the one time he married her, committeth, present tense, goes on committing adultery. And that's understandable. They go on living in this forbidden condition. The man with a woman who's not his wife and the woman with a man who's not her husband. Every time they go to bed, they commit adultery. But even the relationship itself, which calls itself marriage, in spite of the fact that they have mates already, indicates that the adultery is a continual condition not a one-time thing. But even if it were a one-time thing, inasmuch as it was adultery, it ought to be confessed. And those who live in this state obviously do not confess it. If they confessed it to have been adultery the night they got married, they would have to repent of it. And they don't do that. The repentance would have to be that they break from it. And that would include breaking yeah. of the condition. I wonder if 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 and 10 applies and that's where professor is coming from it says know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of god be not deceived neither fornicators nor idolaters nor adulterers and so on shall inherit the kingdom of god that's the basis for your position that you've been explaining correct, correct. professor one who goes on living in a certain sin and dies impenitent for that sin is lost 
on my reading of scripture and on my understanding of the Christian religion. I'm going to jump into the next question. What is the attitude of the PRC toward other denominations or even other individuals within other denominations who hold a divorce and remarriage? May we maintain fellowship with them? May we partake in the Lord's Supper together? Is there a concern for their eternal spiritual state? I have many godly friends who hold to the view of divorce and remarriage, and they are very zealous in their faith. Surely my view of them should not change based on this doctrinal difference. One question that is prominent in this complicated question has to do with ecumenicity on the part of a denomination of churches and on the part of individuals. And the ecumenicity that's suggested for individuals comes out in the question, may we partake in the Lord's Supper together? And that applies to ecclesiastical ecumenicity because if one church unites with another church that allows divorce and remarriage, you are going, you are uh, uniting with their sin. I want to read here the Reformed Confession on the Lord's Supper in question 82 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Question 82 of the Heidelberg Catechism, are they also to be admitted to this supper who by confession and life declare themselves unbelieving and ungodly? No, for by this the covenant of God would be profaned and his wrath kindled against the whole congregation. So if I'm a member of a congregation that permits divorce and remarriage, when I go to the Lord's Supper with these divorced and remarried persons, I share in the kindling of the wrath of God against the whole congregation. Even though I'm not divorced and remarried myself, and even say I oppose it, when I go to the Lord's Supper with members who are divorced and remarried, I bring down the wrath of God upon myself because the wrath of God is kindled against the whole congregation that allows divorce and remarriage. Now things become serious for individuals who say we don't like divorce and remarriage, but we're going to stay in a church that permits it. That person comes under the wrath of God with the whole congregation. As far as our attitude towards other denominations is concerned, we condemn their approval and practice of divorce and remarriage. And we charge that insofar as they corrupt that mark of the true church, they're abandoning the life of the true church of God. That's obvious. They approve of adultery, and that's contrary to the word of God and to the Christian life. So they show themselves to be departing. We don't condemn them wholesale as a false church. It's a process, but that's serious enough for a congregation and for a denomination. And when this questioner says, I have many godly friends who hold to the view of divorce and remarriage, I hope he is testifying to them, perhaps in light of this session of the interview, testifying to them about the sinfulness of permitting divorce and remarriage and warning him that he shares in the wrath of God because his congregation and denomination permit divorce and remarriage. And when the questioner says his friends hold to the view of divorce and remarriage, I take it that that's not expressive of their actually being divorced and remarried themselves. It's one thing that a friend defends divorce and remarriage mistakenly. It's another thing that somebody is in the condition of divorce and remarriage himself. I would say we may have fellowship with one who is living in divorce and remarriage, just as you wouldn't live in fellowship with an, an adulterer in a different regard. So the attitude of the PRC toward other denominations who hold to divorce and remarriage 
is that they are seriously corrupting the truth of marriage and they are seriously corrupting the mark of the true church that consists of discipline and that's serious enough. I guess I'm thinking of the eternal spiritual state and and we talked about the assumption that they are knowingly living in their sin if they divorce or remarry. Personally, I'm not sure if I agree. <laughs> I know that we haven't really had too much disagreement over that. I, I'm not sure if they knowingly are living in sin. So I, I, I guess I, viewed, I, I view them still as brothers and sisters in Christ, but brothers and sisters who are erring in their walk, still called to repent, of course, and you're still called to show them what God teaches in his word about this truth. I, I think of other passages in scripture, though, First Peter 2, for example, the end of six and, uh, verse 6 and 7, He that believeth on him, that is Jesus Christ, shall not be confounded. And to, and to you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. The issue for salvation surely is you believe in Jesus Christ, you believe in the true gospel. And there are many sins which we are unaware of in our lives, but we trust or we pray that God would forgive us of those sins which we are perhaps unaware of. With regard to that, I would say, whether they're ignorant or knowing, they're living in the sin of adultery, and you may not have fellowship with them. Now, if they're in a church that approves this, but they themselves are not divorced and remarried, you can discuss matters with them in a friendly fashion. So that's, that's quite a different position than people who themselves are divorced and remarried. I had a good friend in another denomination when I was pastor of the Loveland Church. He was a Calvinist, but he had some weaknesses in other respects. We had a good relationship. We were friends. When he told me he was going to divorce his wife and marry another woman, I said, Charles, our friendship is over. And he said, I knew you would say that. He regretted that. I did too. And it's one thing to think wrongly. It's another thing to practice sin against one of the commandments of God. So that would be my response. Yeah, I, I guess I'm, I'm thinking more, uh, more about the eternal uh, state rather than the fellowship in the, the current time. And that comes down to whether everyone knows. Yes, exactly, exactly. That they, that, that is wrong. Right. Because of the the people who I, who who I was mentioned in the question, they truly believe that God's word teaches that uh, you can divorce one and you can marry another based on one ground being fornication, which I disagree with. I I I, I disagree with that that view, and I I've, I make it clear to uh, to my friends in those situations. I don't believe that that condemns them to hell in their eternal standing. We are going in the direction of passing judgment, eternal judgment upon individuals. And I have not occasioned that. I do not favor that. My concern is the truth itself versus the error. And that does apply to people's eternal destination. I recognize that. But God is the judge about those tremendous things. What I am concerned about is to teach the truth about marriage and to condemn the errors that corrupt the truth of marriage. That's my interest. That's my concern. Yeah, I think that's a wise, definitely a very wise way of looking at things. Related to that, there is some sentiment that I've heard that the Bible is unclear on the issue. And if God wanted this, he could have made it clear in Scripture. 
My strong temptation is to laugh heartily at that position. <laughs> Jesus Christ and the Apostle Paul could not possibly have been any clearer on the subject than they are in Mark 10, Luke 16, Romans 7, 1 Corinthians 7. It is as clear as the proverbial crystal. If a man puts away his wife and marries another, he committeth adultery. And underneath that is the fundamental positive principle. It's marriage is of a man and a woman for life. God united them as we saw in Genesis chapter 2. It's the churches that change that the, or, or make it as if it is unclear, right? It's yes. not it, The Bible itself and Jesus was very clear. But it's been, churches have muddied the waters. Yeah. And theologians, often who have a personal stake in the matter, are eager to muddy the waters. But the Bible is clear. Related to that, uh, I did want to bring up that based on Matthew 11, that's where Jesus was speaking of Chorazin and Bethsaida and the mighty works that were done there. And he makes plain that it would be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the Day of Judgment. I guess I'm more worried for those who have been raised with the truth of marriage and then later on something like this comes up and then they leave the church in order to divorce and remarry. So I guess I fear more for those because it seems like God and Jesus is saying, the closer you are to my glory and my truth, the more responsible you are before God in the day of judgment. That just, that's just my personal personal fear or personal concern for others they might know better than an unbeliever. What those remarks occasion in me, who have, has been a minister in the churches for 25 years as a pastor, and then for 20 more years as a professor of theology, during which stint I did my share of counseling too. But that occasions in me is the response that I have seen more often than I could count. Parents who have taken a good stand on marriage, divorce, and remarriage, whose position suddenly changed when one of their own children or grandchildren divorced and remarried. It was wonderful to behold how suddenly the Bible was not clear to them anymore on marriage, divorce, and remarriage, but approved remarriage after divorce. And that has held true also of other relatives of persons in the church. And that takes me back to what we said at the beginning. The word and truth about marriage, divorce, and remarriage is not our word. is isn't dependent upon our feelings or our circumstances. It's the revealed word of God, and the importance of that word of God is not only the earthly lives, the families in the church, but also, as I think I pointed out before, that marriage is the symbol of Christ and the church. Divorce and remarriage means that Christ can divorce the church and take another wife, or that God permits the church to divorce Jesus Christ and marry another Lord and Savior. That's where you must end up. And I've mentioned Kevin DeYoung. He has advertised widely a sermon on marriage and divorce, which is pathetic in every respect, but in one respect, it's honest, and that is, he says in that sermon, which he has himself published, divorce and remarriage under certain circumstances is permitted because the covenant is breakable. The covenant of God is breakable. Now, that's honest. Divorce and remarriage means that. And really, it's based upon that. If the covenant is breakable, so is our marriage. Deplorable and awful. 
that in the end is what the Protestant Reformed churches are concerned about. We're concerned about happy Christian marriages for the sake of the people and their children, but that's not the main thing. The covenant of God with his people is the main thing. We mustn't let go of the truth of earthly marriage because we have a zeal for the heavenly marriage to the honor of God whose Savior Christ is. And out of a love for that, we go forward and we obey God's commands to heed Scripture. Thank you for listening to this content. We apologize for any technical issues which you have experienced with the recording of this episode. We had some issues whilst recording, and we have made sure that for the next episode, next Friday, February the 2nd, that we have resolved all those issues so there should no longer be any technical issues such as those experienced in this episode. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope to have you with us again next Friday, Lord willing.